when he, you see another man with his son or holding his baby girl and you're, it is heartbreaking to know you can't give your husband that. And that's what a woman was created to do. And you'd feel broken and you feel useless and you feel, you know, I, I will be honest in saying there's times I have gone to my husband in tears and said, and I can feel myself emotional even now talking about it. You know, do you regret marrying me if, if you would have known when we got married? Welcome to the Real Talk 238 podcast with your host, Denise Lee, an Associate Licensed Counselor and Nationally Board Certified Counselor in the state of Alabama under the supervision of Cotina Stroud. The Real Talk 238 podcast has real conversations concerning taboo topics, which people may find themselves struggling with that may not be discussed, especially in relation to the church. The purpose of the Real Talk 238 podcast is to bring awareness, hope, and encouragement. Having these conversations will shed light on the truth and break the lie of being the only one, being stuck, isolated, and alone because there is someone else who has gone through something similar. Topics discussed on the Real Talk 238 podcast are not a substitute nor does it replace professional medical, psychiatric, psychological, or mental health advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and is intended strictly for informational and educational purposes only. All right, let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome to today's podcast of the Real Talk 238 podcast. I am your host, Denise Lee, and today my guest, I'm so excited about this, her name is Jennifer Palmer. She's a medical secretary and is located in Mississippi. Her husband is Josh Palmer, and they've been married for 10 years. They attend Jesus Name Tabernacle in Florence, Mississippi, and she's been a member since 2001. She's involved in children's bus ministry, outreach ministry, elders ministry, and nursing home. And she has a, as she describes it, a beloved Yorkie named Fluffigans. Jennifer and Josh, they have walked the road of infertility and foster care for 10 years. And in 2012, she was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome. In 2019, Jennifer felt the Lord calling her to share her journey through Facebook videos with humor and sometimes tears. Jennifer jumps headfirst into the untouchable topics hoping to show that the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ is for everyone. She believes in living her authentic self 24-7 and infusing the adventure of life with joy and laughter. Hey, Jennifer, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing good. I don't know if I filled in all the gaps there, but just introduce yourself to everybody. Hello, everybody, or should I say, hey, friends. do Facebook videos and... Funny enough, that's what I become, uh, have become known for, the hey friends. So I definitely want to start off by saying hey friends. So I think you got it. My husband and I have been married for 10 years. And I know uh, as we go on, we'll go further into our journey of infertility and foster care. So I think you did well. <laughs> tell, tell us how you guys met. 
So Josh and I went to high school together. Neither one of us were raised in Pentecost. And it's just a God thing. Our paths crossed through high school. We didn't really hang out, but we our groups hung out, if that makes any sense. So fast forward several years. Um, in 2001, I got in church. And at the age of 19, I started praying for a husband. And I was in church 10 years before the Lord led Josh and I to start dating. And I prayed and prayed and uh, one day I walked in church and there was Josh Palmer and I thought, well, everybody was so excited because anytime you see somebody come in from the world to the church, you're so excited to see them there. And uh, little did I know that just, I think it was about five years later, Josh and I would start dating and within two months we were married. So when the Lord did it, he did it right. <laughs> right. Uh, that's exactly the way it is. When God moves in and he does it, does it right. And sometimes it's not a very long courtship. Sometimes it's pretty quick and other times it's it takes a little bit longer so you've done these Facebook journey uh, videos like how much response have you talked or how much have you talked about your store your journey of infertility on Facebook uh, I've talked about it a lot I'm, I'm pretty much an open book um, I know when the Lord was calling me to do the videos I was very reluctant I actually had to even go on Facebook and, and type in, how do you do a Facebook live? And so I was questioning the Lord, well, how are you even wanting me to get on Facebook? What, are, what is all this about? And, and what would I even talk about? And he said, I want you to start by sharing your journey. I got a cake stand, propped my phone up. The only way I knew how and pressed record and just started telling the journey about how, you know, after about two years of trying to have children, I mean, we were all both almost 30 when we got married. I just started pouring my heart out and I really didn't know who would respond or how people would react. But I know that I, I know that I know the Lord had called me to do that. And that one video uh, got over a thousand views, which for somebody who had never done a Facebook video, especially about something so personal, I was very, I felt very blessed and I knew the Lord was starting to use me to share that journey. So a thousand views and you had never done a video before. Right. Wow. Right. That is so awesome. So let's just start back to you and Josh, you got married and, and then let's just go from there. Well, what's that journey been like? Okay. So like I said, we were both nearly 30 years old when we got married. So we knew we wanted to start a family right away. And Josh comes from a big family. So he wanted, his thing was, I want about six children. And I was like, uh, you're going to slow that down. Maybe four that, you know, most people get married younger, way younger than what we did. So we knew if we wanted to start this journey, we need to start pretty quickly. So one year went by and two years went by and nothing. And, and at first I didn't think anything about it because I thought, you know, sometimes it just takes time to start a family. And so um, about into the second year, I really thought, you know, I may, maybe I need to look into this. Maybe I need to see what's going on. And so I started seeing different doctors and they would draw blood and do different tests and I wouldn't get any results. You know, everybody just kept saying, I don't know what's wrong. I don't want to know what's wrong. And you know, anybody who's ever had to walk any kind of a medical journey knows that the bills can collect pretty quickly. So I was just, you know, Josh and I were discussing, said we're not really getting anywhere and the bills are rolling in to pay for all these tests and blood work and different things. And so at that point I had, I'd almost given up. And so a friend suggested me one other doctor. She said, I love this doctor. Her name is Dr. Lori Fulton. She said, I want you to try her you know, this can be your last chance if you want, but please try her. So I went to see Dr. Fulton and immediately she diagnosed me with PCOS, which when she explained the side effects and the symptoms to me was very clear. And I couldn't figure out why the other doctors didn't see that. I remember very vividly, 
she had taken me in a private room and it was kind of, the light was kind of dim. And she looked at me and she said, Miss Palmer, I want you to know that I have diagnosed you with polycystic ovarian syndrome and that you and your husband will never be able to have children. And Whoa. For- when, when she had, um, the only way I can think of that being is just a bomb. You yes. Know? I mean, what was the reaction right then? I was just devastated that the thought of us not being able to have children never crossed my mind. I really never even thought about that. I knew that uh, it took some people a while to have children. And so I just thought, well, it's just taken us a little while to get started. It never, like I said, it never dawned on me that we wouldn't, like never in my life that I never, I never envisioned me not having children. It just was never a part of my story or my future or anything I thought would happen. So when she said that, I was shocked to say the least, devastated. And then I thought, how am I gonna, how am I gonna tell my husband that we will never be able to have children? And so I just kind of left in a state of shock and really thinking, okay, so what is gonna be the next move for us? Yeah, what would be the next move? So you get home and you how did you tell Josh? I just I just sat him down and shared with him. I said, you know, because obviously he knew I was at the doctor and you know, questioned what all, you know, just in general, how did your appointment go today? And, and so I told him, I said, well, I've just been, I have, she's diagnosed me with polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I mean, basically like the same bomb that got dropped on me, I I really didn't know how to handle it other than just drop it on him and say, this is what she's told me. You know, we would never be able to have children. Now my husband, I mean, don't get me wrong. He was devastated, but he is, more easily able to see, always see a positive spiritual side of things. You know, he assured me, oh, it's, it'll be okay. It'll be fine. There's other roads. We'll pray. We'll see what the Lord has for us. There's other options. There's IVF, there's foster care, there's adoption. And I will say we had already somewhat started talking about what the journey of foster care and adoption would look like in case this were to happen, but we never really allowed it to be a truth for us until it was spoken to us, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Now, had you ever, were you familiar with PCOS before the diagnosis? Somewhat. I actually had a friend who had dealt with infertility issues and when I went to her and we were having some of the side effects that come with that, I was just in general asking her, does this happen to you? Does this happen? Do you have this or do you have that? Or this, you know, as a woman, do you experience these different symptoms? Which I mean, I'm not private. I'll share, you know, like the uh, abnormal hair growth and irregular cycles and different things. And she told me, she said, Jennifer, I really think you have PCOS. She said, I have it. And I have those same side effects. You really need to look into that. So when my my other friend encouraged me to see Dr. Fulton. And when she mentioned PCOS, I was already somewhat familiar with it. And so, you know, I just, even though, like I said, obviously it was a shock, it wasn't the first time I had ever heard that term, I guess is what I'm trying to say. For, for people that don't know what some of the symptoms are, I had to do a little research on it. And some of the symptoms are like an irregular cycle, too much um, hair, like on face or chin or other parts where where typically men get hair. Some women deal with acne, thinning hair, weight gain, darkening of skin, and even skin tags. So those are some of the symptoms that can come with PCOS. And then this is an interesting thing I also found from according to the CDC that married women age 15 to 44, there's about 6% of married women that are unable to get pregnant after one year of trying 
And then 12% of women, uh, same age group, have difficulty getting pregnant or carrying a pregnancy to term regardless of their marital status. So, you know, it's, it's a very real thing. And sadly, a lot of people don't talk about it. And that's one reason why I'm so glad you wanted to come on the podcast and, you know, bring more awareness and let people know that, you know, whether or not you're in church, this can happen. Right. You know, how does that impact your spiritual life? Well, it it leaves you questioning for sure. I know during the deepest part and or maybe I should say the darkest part of this journey, you know, you question God because women are created to provide a child. That's your job is to go forth and multiply. And when you're looking at the man that you love, and let me say this, I say my husband has never, ever guilted me or made me feel in any way less than because of my diagnosis. But when you see another man with his son or holding his baby girl and you're, it is heartbreaking to know you can't give your husband that. And that's what a woman was created to do. And you'd feel broken and you feel useless and you feel, you know, I, I will be honest in saying there's times I have gone to my husband in tears and said, and I can feel myself emotional even now talking about it. You know, do you regret marrying me if, if you would have known when we got married that I couldn't give you children, would you have still married me, you know, and then apologizing for that, because it's not like he can just go out and, you know, remarry or whatever, you know, he, he made a vow to me and I kind of felt like he was stuck with me. And he reassured me, he made the choice to be with me and he would have done it all over again. And that our journey was going to be different than everybody else's, but different is good and different is okay. And sometimes God calls people to be different. So he, God really blessed me with a awesome husband. So we just had to learn for us, our story was, was going to be different and that was going to be okay. I've got chills over here. (laughs) How, how was it like when you would go to church, you know, because obviously when you go to church, there's little kids all over the place. And, and then too, you also deal with, you know, you do children's bus ministry. And so how do you deal with that part of it? Yes, there were, there was a time where for somebody to stand up in church and, and announce that they were expecting was heartbreaking for me. I, I specifically remember a time with, we actually have several different couples in our church that have battled infertility and they have become a parent either through a long time of waiting and the Lord blessing them or IVF. And I, I share that to say there was one, two ladies in our church that had done a drama uh, during a church service about It was basically about waiting. And in the end of the song, they had their children come up and they were holding them in their arms and it was their children that they were waiting for. And I'm telling you, I felt like somebody had punched me in my stomach. I mean, it was all I could do to keep myself together. I wanted to literally crawl under the pew and sob. And I thought, God, you gave them what they were waiting for. Why am I still having to wait? And through the time of of praying and seeking the Lord for why, why is this my journey? He took me back to a time where I I had just gotten in church and I spent a lot of time in praying. And one of the things I said in prayer was, Lord, I want a life that's different. I want a life that's unique. And I want a story that's not like anybody else's. And the Lord reminded me of that during my darkest, deepest times. Jennifer, I'm calling you to that life that's different. That's what you asked me. Now, when I prayed that, would I ever have guessed this would be my journey? This would be my different story? Never. But in that, God is showing me 
that we all are called to walk different roads, different journeys, different testimonies, different ministries. And this, for me, my barrenness was not a curse, but it was a God calling. And so over time, that has helped me. And I'm to the point now, I'll be 40 next month. And so I've really embraced the calling that we have. So I don't get so upset. I, I can very easily rejoice with the other ones, but I will share that has not always been the story. Yeah. Going to baby showers and and I would buy things in in faith. I would buy little baby clothes or something and go into a baby shower. And sometimes, you know, money might have been tight or whatever, taking that gift and wrapping it up and knowing you're that gift that you bought by faith for yourself, you're giving away to somebody else. But in doing that, the Lord has just made me stronger and really turned the tables to give me a heart for the children that don't have that godly parent to come home to. Right. So that leads us into, that's a good segue into, um, into the next step of the journey. What did that look like for you and Josh? So after we got the um, diagnosis of PCOS and definitely knew that unless God intervened, we would not be able to have children. We began to, to discuss foster care versus adoption. So our main goal was to adopt because I told the Lord, I said, I don't want to bring in a child that I've got to let go of. I, I can't imagine, you know, I've already not been able to have a child. Now you, I, I can't walk that road where you want me to bring a child in and let go of them. So we looked into adoption, but it is very, very expensive. There's just so many different things that come along with that. You could you could find a mother that is willing to adopt their child out, but then the state gives them so many days to decide that. So it could be that you walk this whole journey and you provide all these finances only for the last minute, the mother to say, no, I, I want to keep that child. And by law, she has that right. So we weren't sure about that. But so the more we researched, we noticed and learned that you, you could adopt through the state. And at this point, the rights were already terminated. So you didn't have to deal with that. And we thought, okay, well, we'll just we'll contact the state. We'll tell them we want a newborn baby and we'll just get our baby and we'll move on. Well, let me tell you something. <laughs> it is near, near that easy. So we contacted the state and you have to do your um, prerequisites, you know, all your state required classes to get licensed. Then the waiting game begins and you wait and you wait and you wait. And so let me back up before I get too far, too far in this story. I do want to share this part. Um, when the Lord was dealing with us to do foster care, I fought. I said, God, I'm not, I'm not doing that please don't call me to do that. And so one day I had come home from church and I had laid down to take a nap. And during my nap, I had a dream that I was standing in a wheat field and there was a wheat as far as the eye could see. And the Lord told me, he said, Jennifer, you are standing in the field of my forgotten children. Will you work my field? And so at that point is when I really surrendered that part to say, okay, God, if this is what you want me to do, I will bring children to my home. But I want to say, even saying that, I said, only children whose rights are terminated. That way I don't have to let go of them. I don't have to. And so when we contacted the state, we told them we only wanted to foster children that had rights terminated. And I thought, surely that's not going to be that hard. Well, I don't know how it is in other states, but in Mississippi, it's very rare that parental rights get terminated. And even if a child's on the journey, even if that's like part of the plan, it could still take years and years and years for that to happen. And so we started out by telling him, like I said, we'll only take children whose rights are terminated, but we waited and waited and waited. And the Lord started dealing with us. If you want to do this, you're going to do it my way, not yours. Whoa. And, 
Yeah. You ever find like sometimes in situations like that, because I know God has dealt with me about stuff and sometimes he'll use one thing to get our attention, but that's not the main goal. But then it just ventures off a bit once you see that goal down there. But then it's if you look just a little bit to either the right or the left, it's like, oh, that's where it's at. Exactly. Yes. And I want to add this too. when my husband and I, when we really started um, fostering, we had just moved into a new home and we dedicated our home to the Lord and we dedicated the spare rooms for him to use however he wished. And when I was fighting it in my spirit so bad, the Lord told me, he said, Jennifer, you gave me those rooms. Are you going to allow me to use them the way that I want to, even if that means you have to let go. And so it was, it's a deep surrendering to know that God, I'm willing to be broken if I can be used in any way to touch another child's life, if it be for a day, for a month, for a year, or even in respite for an hour or two, if you can somehow use me to be a light into this broken child's life, Lord, I surrender to that. So we began, we contacted DHS and we let them know that we wanted to change our our plan that we would take in children and right away, uh, children that is that that aren't necessarily up for adoption. Now, now, for those who aren't familiar, what does DHS stand for? Uh, Department of Human Services. Or okay. I think they, yes, now Child Protective Services. Yeah, some states it's CPS. I know in Alabama it's DHR. So just just so the audience has an idea what which department you're dealing with. Yes, the the state department that takes in the children of abuse and neglect from parents that are unable to care for them. Yes. So at that point, and, and two, I want to say when you contact them, you they ask you several questions. You know, what age? Is there a certain race? Do, will you take in disabled children and, you know, rights terminated or not? So every step of the way, if you change something there, like, for example, I mean, obviously for us at first, we wanted to only take in a baby whose rights are terminated. Well, when we decided to change that, we called them and we said, okay, we want to open it up from age zero to 15 and no longer do the rights. You know, we're willing now to take in children whose rights aren't terminated for however long the state needs us to keep them. So we contacted them and it wasn't long. I'd say maybe, maybe a week. We got a phone call um, from our social worker and everybody who fosters you are given a social worker so she called us and she told us about a two-year-old who had a cerebral palsy and epilepsy and they asked us would we be willing to take her so I called my husband and this was I mean not only was this a child whose rights weren't terminated but this is a child with a very specific diagnosis yeah and so this was a big calling and I I didn't know if we were ready for that but I called my husband and he was, he said, Jennifer, if this, this is, this is the first door that opened and it opened right away as soon as we changed our requirements. So I feel like God has just opened this door. Who knows? Maybe even God was waiting on us to take this child in, you know, to the point where we were willing to, if that makes sense. Yeah. Met with our social worker and met Peyton. And I will say this, we're close to the family. This has been about four years ago now. So whereas I'm not always able to share the child's name, I am able to share in this circumstance, uh, but I'll leave her last name 
private for her privacy sake. So we took in Peyton and we loved her right away. She was so sweet. She was, our, our placement was the 10th home she had been in in less than a year. But I can understand, you know, she had a very hard diagnosis. Josh and I didn't have any other children in the home. The other home she had been in did have children. And Peyton required so much personal attention and care because of her uh, disability that I, I can understand it was just hard for other placements. And I'm going to tell you, it was hard for us. She was with us for 10 months before she was released to go back to her grandparents who are have completely turned everything around and they're doing great now. And I'm so glad to hear that. But it was 10 months of emergency rooms. It was 10 months of my husband and I are very active in the church. And so there were times we would have to miss several services because Peyton, if it was like the winter, she would get sick and have seizures and which meant more hospital stays. And, and it was just, it was a very trying time, but I do want to say this, and it just, it's just how God works. And he's so good. Uh, before Peyton left, we dedicated her. I questioned whether that was the right thing to do because we were having to let her go. But there was another mother in our church who had previously fostered. And she said, Jennifer, she said, we had dedicated one of our children. And she said, I want you to be encouraged to dedicate Peyton because you're giving her back to the Lord, regardless of what journey she goes on, regardless of where the Lord leads her. She had a time in her life where somebody lifted her up to the Lord and said, this is your vessel. I'm sorry. I feel myself getting emotional. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I love you're going. <laughs> for your service. And so that's exactly what we did. And I wrote her this long letter, Josh and I both did. And I told her, I said, you know, God has called us to hold your hand in this journey for a short time. And I don't know whose hand you're going to hold next, but we pray that you will always hold his hand and that you always seek his face. And that even before you were really aware of what was going on, somebody loved you enough to set you at the foot of the cross and say, this is where you belong. This is how you're loved by God, regardless of what road you walk or where in life you ever may go. You are a child of God, first and foremost. So we dedicated Peyton, and I believe it was the very next weekend she went back to live with her grandparents. Well, it was about a year later, I started doing the videos, and we had little, a little contact between her grandmother and myself, and she messaged me one day, and she said, I want you to know that Peyton loves your videos. Charge <laughs> <laughs> because I really uh, was worried that she wouldn't remember who I was because she was so young. And she said that my video had come up on Facebook and Peyton saw it. And she said, Mama, that's Jennifer. And she was so good to me. And it just gave my heart so much joy to know that that time she spent in our home was not in vain. And she didn't forget. She did remember. And it's not to say, oh, Josh and I were perfect and we did everything right because we didn't. But it was my sign to let me know when God does it, even if you have to let go, he does it the right way. Right. And that the, you know, it makes me think of, of the scripture that said his word does not return void. No matter what we put in this, these children, whether they're with us for one day or one year, they're never going to forget. God plants that seed and he's going to continue to let it go grow, whether they're in our home or not. Wow. Wow. That's that in itself is just encouraging. Know that you were able to pour into her life. And even if, even if it was just for 10 months, 
but still the after, I mean, now you're in contact with grandma and so you still get to be somewhat a part of Peyton's life. So that is so awesome. So, so what was the next part of the journey like? Cause here you're, you're doing the foster care and, and having kids come in and out, which can be really, I know some situations, um, cause when I interned, I interned at a, at a hospital and there was a lot of foster kids in there. And some of the stories are so heartbreaking. Oh yes. They're devastating. And one of the things the Lord dealt with me about when I I'll just say having my my own personal pity party with why can't I have a baby? Why can't I have a baby? The Lord kind of turned the tables on me and said, Jennifer, I'm sure these children wonder why can't they have a loving parent? Why can't they just be in a normal home? Why can't they just be a child without the fear of being, you know, sexually abused or abandoned or, you know, whatever trauma they came from? And, And God let me know in that time that there again, my closed womb was for his great purpose so that he could use somebody. He had somebody's hands and feet to reach out to these children, to let them know that they do matter, that they are important, that life doesn't have to be what they've been surrounded by. It's not that a, that a mother is there to love, not to hurt and harm. And so when Peyton left, we kind of, um, you know, took a step back. We, took a break for a couple of months. Um, but then we jumped right back in because we said, you know what, this is what we were called to do. So this is what we're going to do. And then we took in, um, total, we've taken eight different children. They're all different ages, all different races, different traumas. The, the last foster child we took in actually was a 19 year old that had aged out of Tupelo children's mansion. Uh, that is an orphanage in Tupelo, Mississippi. That's ran by UPC when these kids age out, the mansion tries to find them families to go live with or get them involved in a college somewhere. But just typically speaking, as far as the foster care system in general, uh, a lot of these kids at 18, they're turned out and they have nowhere to go. 75% of children that age out of the system end up homeless or in prison. And they just don't have the finances to raise themselves. They don't have the life skills to raise themselves. And so for several years after Peyton left, we continued to take in foster children whose rights weren't terminated. So the time that they were with us was limited. Our last one that aged out was with us for about three years, and then he was able to get on his feet, which is the goal. I mean, you want them to be able to, you know, move forward in their life and be functioning, stable adults. And though I will say beyond, we had took in one other child beyond Jay, he was actually a foreign exchange student. And when that door opened, it was so random. Some friends of ours were taking in exchange students and Josh and I thought, oh, well, why don't we just look into that? We had no intention of actually moving forward at that time. But when I called, this young man had actually lost his placement. The family was no longer able to keep him. So literally, when I tell you I called on a Thursday and he flew in from Alabama to live with us that Saturday, he was originally from Spain. So I say that to say, we're just like God, however you want us to take a man for however long, whether they're foster cares or exchange children. The whole point is for them to spend time in our home, uh, but more importantly, to spend time before you and in a church setting so that they can know that back to the thing you care and you love and, and to know the truth. So after our 
foreign exchange student and our oldest child left, Josh and I, you know, we discussed, so what's our next move time? Because Jay was not part of the state. We did not get relicensed. So we didn't, we're not currently licensed to foster. And we loved the older age group. There was so much fun. They were involved in the youth and in different youth activities and the whole and different. So the thing that Josh and I are, are currently praying about is we feel like God is calling us to open our home to become a transition home where we take in 10 to 12 children who've aged out of the state, ages 18 to 21 young men, and just serve them. Like we feel like that is our next step is serving those children because there's just not a lot of resources for the children that age out. There are plenty of foster homes for these kids, the babies. That's, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's easier to take in babies. There's not such a demand for people who are willing to take in older children. And so we feel like not only has God called us to foster, but specifically he's called us to parent and nurture those that are, can no longer be a part of the foster care system, but right. still that guidance and that leadership and that role model in their life and just take them in. And, you know, when our oldest was with us, Josh taught him how to grill. He taught him how to change a tire. He taught him how to check his oil. He taught him, um, you know, just different things that dads teach these young men that they missed out on life because dad wasn't there. And so I believe that's going to be the next step in our life is really continuing to pray and just seeing what God opens up for us in reference to taking in the aged out children. Yeah, because that's, I mean, that is such a huge need. And, you know, I saw a lot of that as well when I was interning at the hospital. Just kids were, you know, at the age where they didn't have no place else to go. And it's that transition period. And it's like, what do you do then? So in the process of foster care, tell me, and you shared this story with me about the books. Okay. One of the children that we had in our home, we had to go to court with them. And um, well, let me back up and say this. As a part of the therapy for our children, the therapist suggested books to read them books and try to find different books to help them relate to the changes that they were going through. And so with one of our children going to court, I wanted to sit down and kind of explain to them, okay, this is what can be expected. We're going to go to court and they may terminate rights. They may not. What does that look like? You know, if they terminate rights, does that necessarily mean that you can stay in our home? Not always. You know, sometimes children have to move to a different county for their protection, which means a new school, a new church, a new home, a new family, a new belief system, new rules, new everything. And so I wanted a book typically talked about those things to prepare my child. And I couldn't find that book. I could easily find books like Mama Duck Adopts Baby Cat or, you know, just very childlike books that explain foster care and adoption in a very childlike manner. But I couldn't find them for my kids that were old enough to really know what was going on. You know, they were beyond that stage. They needed, in a very gentle way, they needed reality, if that makes sense. Yes, And I couldn't find that. And so the Lord told me, he said, I want you to write those books. And I'm tell, I was like, what? <laughs> I'm not a writer. I can make- <laughs> Thank God. Because I don't know where I would be and have the time. I don't even get it right then. And so I'm like, wait a minute. I really, you dialed the wrong number on this one. So I thought, I'm, and I, I battled with this for a while, like, kept hearing, you know, hearing the voice of God telling me this. And I thought, I'm really losing it. So I said, you know what, I'm going to solve this problem. I'm going to go home. I'm going to tell my husband, I feel like God has called me to write books. 
which was so obviously random and out there. And I'm sure he'll think that's as crazy as I do. And that'll be the end of it. So I came home one day and we were getting ready for bed. And I said, Josh, I said, I want to tell you something. Uh, you know, this is kind of crazy. You're not going to believe it. I said, but um, I feel like the Lord's calling me to write books um, about foster care and children and this and that. And I said, isn't that nuts? That's just crazy, isn't it? He said, well, I think it's a great idea. And I was like, what would I even write about? So one of the things Josh and I have discussed, if if we ever did have a little girl, we would name her Mary Ragsdale. Mary's his brother, his grandmother's name, and Ragsdale was my grandmother's maiden name. And so he said, why don't you write a story about a little girl named Mary Ragsdale? He said, why don't you make it a series? And each different book can be a different part of the journey that a foster child goes through. And by this time, we'd fostered several different children. So we had dealt with several different scenarios. And um, he said, you can just write a whole series about it. And then, you know, the Lord can just use those books, you know, to be the books that you needed that other people may need. And I was like, you know, that is a really good idea. But still, I just kept putting it off and putting it off. And the Lord kept telling me, write the book, write the book, write the book. <laughs> so one day on my lunch break at work, I said, you know what? I'm just going to open up a Word document. And if I beat on my keyboard for 30 minutes, I can at least say, well, God, I tried. That day at lunch, I opened up a Word document and I said, okay, God, if you want me to do this, you're going to have to help me. And so he had me start by writing out a, like a, here I am. This is how not good I am. Not a timeline, but a guideline, you know, like a, Anyway, what I'm trying to say is 12 different scenarios that children go through that'll end up being 12 different books. Like the first one is where Mary Ragsdale, she calls it her not so good home, her not so safe home. So the first book is where the social worker comes to get her because her home isn't safe anymore and what that looks like and the feelings that she feels. And the next book is where Mary Ragsdale is supposed to go into a foster home, but there's not enough foster homes, which is a reality in the real world, sometimes there aren't homes available and children have to go into, um, tra- uh, not transition homes, but like a group home. That's where yeah. I'm group home. So in the second book, Mary Ragsdale goes into a group home and has to wait there for a little while until a foster home is available. So you have, you have these whole, this 12, these 12 yeah. books and stuff. Have you found a publisher yet? I haven't. I have researched different things. And what I've mainly found is called vanity publishing. And that's where you go, you know, you give them their books and you pay them. But the books are very expensive, $5,000 per book. And that doesn't include um, illustrations and the editing costs and all that. So we're currently researching doing them self-publishing, but I'm not that great at computers. (laughs) So a lot of the lingo and things I need is just something I'm going to have to research and learn a little more about. But through the journey of the books, it basically book one is where she goes into foster care and book two is where she is, I mean, like they're actually in court. She's being adopted by a family and then everything in between different homes, different social workers, different different races that she has to live with because, you know, a child of one certain race may not always be in the home of their race. And yes. so I want every kind of incident and situation a child would go through. And I specifically wanted them to be individual books because every story is different. Every child's journey in foster care is not going to look like somebody else's. So I wanted that foster parent to go get that book. If a child didn't have to go into a group home and they don't necessarily want that book, I didn't want them to have to get that book, but I wanted that one to be available. So if they got a child directly out of a group home, they had that option to say, okay, this is what it looked like. And this is what we can expect moving forward. Or this is what Mary Ragsdale went through. And another thing I want to add is the book 
title is the Foster Care Adventures of Mary Ragsdale. And one thing I specifically wanted, I didn't want foster children to feel different. I didn't want them to feel like, oh, poor, pitiful Mary Ragsdale. She has no stability. I wanted to be, I may not be in the same home today or the same school, but this is a fun adventure that God's taken me on. And I'm going to learn different things and I'm going to get to meet different people and I'm going to get to experience different things. And this is a fun, adventurous thing. And, I, and I'm by no means trying to make foster care. I'm not trying to make light of foster care. But what I am trying to do is let the foster child know that being different can be fun. And just because your life doesn't look like everybody else's doesn't mean that you're broken. It doesn't mean that something's wrong with you. It doesn't mean you're unloved. And that's another thing that I shared. And I tried to keep this theme threaded throughout the whole journey is I love the story of Esther and oh, how yes. Foster, she was an orphan and God made her a queen and how God has called us to big and great things regardless of what our title may be. And so I tried to thread that through each and every book. And so at the end of the book, I tried to end it where she was praying and thanking God for her great foster care adventure. Awesome. Awesome. So so now you're at a place right now, you're not fostering anybody at the moment because you're just in that in-between time right now. As we get ready to wrap up, what is something you could say to a woman out there who's who's dealing with infertility and, and they've been to doctor after doctor and they don't, you know, they're not coming up with any answers and, or somebody that's been diagnosed with PCOS, you know, what is something encouraging that you could say to them? Um, if I could say anything to the woman who's been diagnosed with infertility, uh, it would be to encourage her to let her know that this isn't a final uh, end all be all of ever being a mother that there's different roads and avenues to mothering children. Sometimes the Lord gives us our own children, and sometimes he calls us to love the motherless, those that may never know what it's like to be held in the arms of a good and a godly woman. I would let you know what the Lord told me and spoke into my spirit during my dark hours, that my barrenness is not a curse, but a calling and to be encouraged that you've been set apart just as Esther for such a time as this, that God has a divine purpose in your barrenness to use you in a greater way than you could ever imagine. And while some mothers may only get to mother one or two or three children, the foster mother gets to love and nurture many, many children. She gets to have a hand in reaching so many more children than would have ever come through her home naturally. So be encouraged and thank God for that awesome and wonderful journey that he has for you, uh, no matter what that may be or how that may look. All right. Well, I hope as, I mean, I've got chills. I really do got chills all over and it just really touched my heart. Having in that transition period where kids are aging out and stuff, it takes money. And I will just say, I wasn't asked to do this, but if anybody is out there and wants to help support that, by all means, reach out because it is much needed. You know, it, anybody who raises kids, they know it costs money. It's not cheap. And, and I think the older they get, the more it costs, you know. So if anybody wants to reach out and help out with that endeavor, please, by all means, do. This is a much needed cause. And I am so excited about like the path you guys are on, what God's going to do in that, because it's not the end of the story. It's definitely not, you know, there is no telling what God can do with it. 
So anyway, so thank you so much, Jennifer, for coming on uh, coming on the podcast and being a guest today. I really appreciate it. If you have not seen her Facebook videos, oh my word, you got to go check it out. That is how I met Jennifer was by one Facebook video. And it was just like, this is my people right here. Um, <laughs> all right. So until next time, um, have a great and wonderful day. Thank you for listening to the Real Talk 238 podcast for this week's episode. If you have enjoyed this episode of the Real Talk 238 podcast, please subscribe so you will be notified when new episodes are released. If you would like to leave a comment, or there is a topic you would like discussed on the Real Talk 238 podcast, you can drop an email at therealtalk238 at gmail.com. You can also find the Real Talk 238 podcast on Facebook, and Instagram listed as at the Real Talk 238. As a reminder, the Real Talk 238 podcast is not a substitute, nor does it replace therapy. Always seek the advice of your physician or a qualified licensed mental health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or mental health disorder. Until next time, have a blessed day.